So, here we are, a week and a half out. Who's, who's greater than John the Baptist? Some hesitation out there. Anyone in the kingdom? He was least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, as great as he was. He represented the, the last of the old dispensation, the old covenant. He predicted the coming of the new. Such is the blessing of what we enjoy today. Do you enjoy it? Interesting question. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect another? Paraphrased, is this it? Is this as good as it gets? Perhaps. I sort of entitled this Dealing with Our Disappointments with God. Do you ever feel disappointed with God? Do you ever feel like, why God? Why don't you do something? Do you care? Are you here? Well, this same John who was in a way asking the same question because he was a bit, perhaps, maybe he was disappointed, maybe he was beginning to doubt or be confused. This is the same John who we read in John's Gospel, different John. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he was there at his baptism because he baptized him. He heard heaven open and the Father speak. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So much so that John had said, I must decrease. He must increase. Is he doubting it all? Is this the normal state of any of us when it comes to faith? I think a reality is there are times when we struggle, when we see our circumstances. Usually it's when things are going badly. Usually when a, perhaps we've heard the Lord and we've, we've stepped out in faith and we're expecting the wind of the Spirit to move and the, the waves to part and open and the dry ground to appear and it's, it's as bad as ever. The, opposi the opposition may seem as great as, ever, as it ever was. We stand in the long line of the people of God, I would suggest. But we are not without hope. God doesn't want us to be without hope. So again, back to John. Here's John who's familiar with the, the messianic prophecies. The, the, that God had revealed that one day he would send Messiah. Messiah is a Hebrew word that is the same as Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Alright? He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. That's what it means. He's the promised one. It's an indication of his identity and his purpose. And John himself had said, God will come with vengeance, with divine retribution to save you. He speaks to the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. Who want you to flee from the wrath to come? Every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He who is coming after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's a fire of judgment. I know we like the fire of passion. But often fire is to do with burning up. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You all want the fire of God. Come and form a line. You see, John expected the judgment. That was a part of the prophetic word of Isaiah 35 that we had read. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
And yet, nothing's changed. The Romans are still in power. Israel is a subjugated nation, unable to enjoy the blessings of the land as God had intended. Worse still, John's in prison for speaking out the Word of God. Things are not going well. So what does Jesus do and how might that help us in those moments when we're struggling, when we're confused? Well, he goes back to the prophecy of Isaiah. He goes back to the Word of God revealed. That's a good pointer for us. Don't assess God by how you're feeling and how life is going. Go to His Word. Go to the revelation that He has given. And so, Jesus goes back to the prophet Isaiah. Or Isaiah. And He quotes from both Isaiah 35 and in part Isaiah 61. And that was Jesus' sort of manifesto when he began his ministry we read in the Gospel of Luke. The Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news. Now in Isaiah 61, we also have there the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus doesn't quote that. That's interesting. In fact, very often when Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, he drops off the judgment. Has he got soft? But he says, go back. He goes back and he says to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. God will come. The eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame leap like a deer. The mute tongue shout for joy and waters will gush forth. But Jesus separates the blessing from the judgment to some measure. That's okay. It's worth pausing and pondering that for a moment. But he does say this, blessed, the blessing goes along to anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Anyone who does not take offense because of me. Anyone who does not fall away because of me. You see, Jesus becomes the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment of the word. And in that sense, he has every right to reinterpret and apply it. And that's what he does. He reinterprets the Jewish expectation in the fulfillment of it. Okay, quite a bit of theology here. I often speak with people, and I've been speaking with people recently, and they'll talk about friends they know, people they know, who are just very atheistic. They've given up on God. They've fallen away. Or they've never even joined the party in the first place. Quite often, the God they don't believe in, I don't believe in either. And that's a part of our responsibility as the people of God to make known the true God, working with the Holy Spirit. But also there are people who've been hurt by people, hurt by the church. And so they've walked away, they've rejected. And at times we need to have compassion and care about that. Because it's not the solution, it's not God's way. But very often it comes out of our own pain at times. Sometimes the heart of the matter is that people, we all just like to be right. We actually like to be in control. We like a kind of a degree of comfort. We like to be free from harm. We like to be safe. Isn't that what God has promised? I had a gal in my house church years ago that was a constant kind of, um, I've forgotten the word. She kept saying this. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to be comfortable. And it's not unreasonable that human beings, we enjoy comfort. 
And maybe some of that is why John was uncomfortable and questioning and asking, are you the one or is there another? And maybe in Jesus' words, there's something of a mild rebuke to him. Now, he's not putting him down because he goes on to affirm him for his greatness. Eventually, John would be beheaded. Violently, a violent end. God did not protect him from that. And yet he was perfectly in the will of God. At times, the teaching of Jesus becomes uncomfortable. We've been talking about that a lot recently. For us to grow will be uncomfortable. In fact, rarely do we grow when we're not stretched or outside of our comfort zone. Whether that's as individually, personally, whether it's us as a community, as a church, to grow will be uncomfortable. And in many ways, the Word of God challenges us to think about what we are really committed to. Who we generally believe and trust in. Who is our God? And what has He said and called us to? There's a sense in which I think as God is preparing us and has been preparing us and continues His work because there there is a call upon us, I believe, going into 2020. There's something poignant about 2020. I was saying yesterday to somebody, when I passed my driving test, I was 17 years old and it said it would expire in 2028. This was in the middle of the 70s. I thought it'll never happen. I'm shocked to believe we're almost in the decade, (laughs) the expiry of my original British driver's license. But there are times when the teaching and the call of God begin to bite and to challenge us in the way in which we live. Ultimately for our good, but it is uncomfortable. There's an episode in John's Gospel, in John chapter 6, where Jesus is teaching, and the demands become partly confusing, but partly offensive. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And with that, Many of his disciples left and walked with him no more. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The blessing of God is available to all, but it is received to those who respond with faith and surrender. He turns to the twelve and he says, what about you guys? Are you you heading out as well? You know, in in my work, in uh, particularly in church planting, but in ministry, in North America, one of the hardest things has been the number of people who seem to walk away. Walk away from church, walk away from relationships. It's grievous to me. (laughs) I would struggle with it enormously. Sometimes people would leave and say nothing. And when I connect with them and ask, they said, well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings. You didn't think it hurt my feelings that you just left? What was it like for Jesus for people to just leave when he was giving everything? I wonder if he got disappointed. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. That is the confession that Peter makes. 
It's a wondrous thing what the, what the blessing of God can bring. It's what is prophesied through the prophets. And we see it on many times. This imagery of, of wilderness, of desert, of death, of dry bones, of whatever it may be. And life is poured out. Water comes gushing. And there's growth and life and beauty. And imagery that is really glorious. There's a blooming. There's a, a flourishing. It's miraculous because it was never expected. And it's shocking. And it's a wondrous thing when that begins to happen in any of our lives as we turn to the Lord and receive the gift and find that He's capable of far more than we ever imagined. But they come to those who yield to Him. That's all He asks. That we would yield and surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. Because it's really not about us reforming our lives. It's about Him showing His glory in and through us. And what is His glory? It's His love. He makes us like Him. It's His compassion. He makes us compassionate. It's His acceptance of us. He makes us and calls us to be accepting of one another. He gives to us and calls us to give to one another. He shows us mercy and says, now be merciful. He gives us forgiveness and says, now forgive. You see, this is the glory of God. It's a life surrendered and yielded to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came and the one who is coming again for His own, for all who would believe and trust in Him. And yet, it has to be Him. It has to be His way. And the ego fights. The ego kicks. Why should I believe in Him? Who are you to say? If He's God and you're not. But we like to be God. We like to be in charge. We like to dictate to God. We like to say to God, I have no need of you. For as, the Satan, as Satan once tempted, eat of the fruit and you shall be like God. You won't need Him anymore. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil. And that is the temptation we succumb to again and again. And sadly, the, the self, the false self, the protective self rears up and resists. Even though we say we, we, we believe in, we don't always yield to and submit to. And yet, always the call is to surrender to Jesus, to trust in Him. Trust in Him, the one who knows the name of the wind and the waves. Remember that story of Peter? Jesus is literally walking on, on the water through which the disciples are terrified. And Jesus invites him out the boat. And he steps out. He gets a bad rap, does Peter? I thought, who, who else would have stepped out that boat? Come on. Come on. And he exercises faith and he begins to walk, but immediately he's distracted. And his eyes come off of Jesus. And like the rest of us, we begin to doubt. And he sinks. He begins to sink until the Lord reaches out. The Lord never gives up on him. He kind of has a bit of a go at him and the rest of them. But he's trying to nurture something in them, you see. The truth of who he is. And God is still nurturing that truth in all of us. And we may not see what we expect to see. How we expect God to act, just like John. But his encouragement is to believe and to trust that God is working out his purposes. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. We do not see it all. 
Now, I don't think John was ultimately offended. I don't think he lost his way. I don't think he rejected Christ. But he had to change his expectations, certainly about judgment and its timing. And it's often our expectations of God that get in the way. And we react when they're not met. You see, to to trust in Christ is to trust in His victory through His self-sacrifice upon a cross. But His victory was over the power of the enemy, over demonic forces that lure us away from the truth if we allow them to. And He broke the power of them over our lives. But only to the degree that we live in Him Because it's His power. It's His victory. It's not yours. It's not mine. I can't go it alone and say, that's all right, Jesus. Thanks for all you did. I'm good. No. I'm outside of Him. I have no victory. And the wind and the waves will overwhelm me. And they will drag me to the bottom. His victory and His kingdom do not guarantee that life will go well upon this earth before He comes back. Yes, we get tokens. Of course we do. But there is suffering and there is struggle. And this is why the invitation is for long-suffering. Why do you think he wants to bring the fruit of the spirit of patience into our lives? The King James got it right. They called it long-suffering. In other words, nothing seems to change, but we've got to keep holding on somehow. Believing for. We need that just as Jesus needed it, just as John needed it. And it's something that has to be exercised because love is patient. Love absorbs suffering and struggle. So what is the blessing now? Is it all future tense? Of course not. I said earlier we catch glimpses. Through the Spirit we get to taste, as the writer Hebrews says, the powers of the age to come. We get it through, at times God heals and God sets free. It's a spiritual reality, you see. Because the victory was a spiritual victory. And God demonstrated His power over natural, because He's the Creator, through His healings, through His multiplication, through His raising of people from the dead. But as we were reminded yesterday, we shall all die. And yet, in Christ, we shall never die. For He is the resurrection and the life. It's a spiritual reality and it's a hope that helps us stay faithful in a fallen and broken world. For there is a lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour, but not on the highway of holiness, not on the way of the redeemed. There is a protection to be found in Him if you're walking with Him. And if you're on His way, there is protection. As we said, there is joy unspeakable, full of glory. Paul says the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking. Who likes to eat and drink? I love to eat and drink. He's got a kind of a spoil sport, party pooper. Do you know, part of the tithe of the people of God was for eating and drinking, for festivals. They were to collect money to pay for big parties. 
Nothing wrong. Our God is a partying God. But we party with a view to the future. We party now waiting for the fulfillment. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This gladness and joy can overtake us in the midst of the most challenging and struggling circumstances when we feel everything is against us. Jesus says, in me you shall have peace. There, will, there is a joy to be found in the Holy Spirit that has to be received from above. It's not worked up from within. It's the gift of God. Have you received the gift? Do you know the gift? Would people recognize it in you? When they poked you, what comes out? Joy or something else? Particularly when you're under pressure. He meets us in the midst of our sorrow and our sighing. He's not unacquainted with grief. He knows the human condition. And He has tremendous compassion for us. But in His wisdom, He doesn't always lift us out of that place. But He's right there alongside us with His comfort and His consolation. And His promise to never leave us nor forsake us. That in this too we shall have victory. In this too we shall endure. The writer Hebrews picks up on this same passage from the book of Isaiah. When he says, this is in Hebrews 12, Therefore strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I think some of that feeble arm and weak knees might speak about prayer. Because God wants men to lift up holy hands in prayer. How are we doing, guys? Is our hope in Him? Do we cry out to Him day and night? Do we model that? And at times are we on our knees? It kind of gets harder as you get older, doesn't it? It's more a state of heart, <laughs> of humility. But sometimes He'll take us to them. Because again, it's a recognition that we are utterly dependent upon Him. And we're thankful for Him. And we know that He will lift us up when we humble ourselves. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. You see, the highway is not for the wicked. It's not for the fools. It's for those who set their gaze towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And not that we have it all together and get it all right, but our hope is in Him. And we say yes to Him. And when we deviate, we come back to Him. And to every extent that we have, we seek to be at peace with people around us. We don't write people off. We move towards conflict. And we humbly offer ourselves for resolution and healing and growth by the grace of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons and daughters of God. We are most like our Father when we are at peace and peace with one another. See that no one falls short of the grace of God. No bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. You know, when we, lit, when we allow anger and hurt to harden within us and it becomes bitterness and resistance and we, we pull away, not only do we defile ourselves, we defile one another. We belong to one another. We're called to warn and to, to draw back one another into the way 
into the place of life, the place of fullness. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. You know, Esau was part of the lineage. Abraham, Isaac, Esau. And he sold it for some stew. For the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, will rob you of your inheritance if you succumb. It's that serious. But the provision is made. You have nothing to do, remember. Christ has overcome. And his arms are open wide, but he says, Come, believe, yield, surrender to me. And you shall return unto Zion with everlasting joy upon your head. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And everlasting joy shall be our inheritance in the Lord. This is his promise. This is our future. There will be a final judgment. There will be a righting of the wrongs. But God has withheld that in His grace and mercy. He's destroyed the powers that pull us away. But still the invitation is to receive and to follow. And I'm excited where the way is taking us. I'm excited for the promises that lie ahead. And we, we're called to be a people who lock arms. Because not only do we belong to Him, we belong to one another. And by the grace of God, He'll do magnificent things amongst us, I believe. For that is His promise. And the very least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. The very least. Nobody is excluded. All are invited. All have the gift. Believe and stir it up for the glory of God, hey? Eh? Eh? Come on, Canada. Eh? Let's stand. <clears throat> Father, what a glorious journey you called us to. It's not without its challenges, not without its struggles, but it's full of light and hope and joy. May we enter more fully into the blessing, Lord. May You graciously pour out Your Spirit upon us, Lord. May You help us walk in the power and authority that You've bestowed through the Lord Jesus Christ. May the works of darkness be banished and may they flee from us. And may the light of this glorious Gospel shine ever brightly in us and through us to a broken and hurting world, Lord. And we say, come Lord Jesus. Establish Your kingdom. Build this highway, Lord. And may we be those who rejoice upon it. Lift us, Lord, into that place where we might see You ever more beautiful. May our hearts be drawn towards You, Lord. May our hearts be broken over You and for You. And may our hearts be in love with You, Jesus. Thank You for one another. Thank You that we're a body together. We live in Your name and we share Your peace. May we be peacemakers for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen.